Philippians chapter 4. We're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Lord willing, we will finish this section tonight. Yeah, we've heard that before, but you know what? I think we will, for the most part. I'm sure we'll come back to it. There's so much here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We ended last week in the middle of digging into this section and digging into what it means to be in the Lord. Uh, we saw last week that we were to stand firm in the Lord and to agree in the Lord and to rejoice in the Lord. We saw that doing things in the Lord was to receive from God the ability to do things that we normally couldn't do. We also looked at how God, God fought for the Israelites as they crossed the Red Sea. All they had to do was trust God as they did what he said to do. And uh, they were to watch him make it work out. You remember when we read that story, how amazing it was that in that situation with the crossing of the Red Sea, God himself moved from in front of them to behind them. So he separated them from the enemy. They couldn't even see the enemy as they just walked in obedience. And he fought the battle for him for them. And I just want to real quickly just kind of point out to you that this has been taught all along. All throughout Scripture, God has been teaching that he doesn't want us to go do anything in our strength. He wants us to do it in his strength or walk in obedience to what it is he said to do, trusting that he will make it work out. The walls of Jericho is a wonderful example of that. Have you ever put yourself in Joshua's shoes? You got to keep in mind, he has just been made the new leader of the nation of Israel. Moses doesn't go into the promised land and Joshua's been handed the reins. And his first battle as they go into the promised land is not only a city named Jericho, it is a huge fortified city. And if you look at the scriptures, the Bible actually say that the walls were so thick that three chariots abreast could run across the top of the walls. What does God tell Joshua his instructions are for fighting the battle? They're to do what? They're to walk around and what? How many times? Six, once a day for six days. On the seventh day, what? Seven times. No, before we go any further, what were they to do during those six days? They weren't allowed to speak. They, you had to have known that there were people on those walls mocking as they just walked around and they weren't allowed to speak. What was God teaching them? Do what I asked you to do. I will make it work. He's also putting them through the test of, are you willing to continue on when it looks like it's not going to work or this is stupid? And one of the problems in our churches today is most of us have never really seen God do these types of things. And we love to talk about how God is the God of the miracle worker and, and, and how he loves to do these things. But how many of us have any stories of what he's doing in our life today? Rarely, because how many of us are willing to walk in obedience to what he said 
because usually it's a step out of the boat and everybody's going to think you're crazy. And well, what happens? They, they do what he says and the walls just fall down. Now, Gideon, wasn't he told something crazy? If you look at the story there in Joshua 6, don't turn there, but if you were to look on your own, you would see that amazingly, when God comes and finds Gideon, and by the way, Gideon's hiding and he calls him mighty warrior. I can almost picture Gideon going, there's got to be someone else in here with me. I thought I was hiding in here alone. And then God's, the scripture actually says that God empowered Gideon to gather 32,000 people. Now, in, in comparison to the Midianites, which the Bible says you couldn't even count them, in comparison to the Midianites, 32,000 really isn't that much. And what does God tell Gideon that he's to do? Take down to ask, well, before that, he says, ask anyone who wants to leave that they're free to go. Or tell them they're free to go. And 22,000 people said, thank you very much. He's got 10,000 now. And what does God say? Take them down to the river. Now, I'm going to chase a rabbit for you real quick. Like I told you before, if you chase a rabbit, it better be one you can catch and it better taste good. This is a good one. I think God's opened my eyes to the fact that them take, him taking them down to the river to drink is a picture of how God does his choosing in salvation. Listen closely. The method by which God chose whom he would choose was predetermined by God. Right? Each individual got to choose how they drank. But Gideon was told, the ones that drink in this manner are the ones I've chosen. We have wrestled over all these years with predestination and free will and all this stuff. When the Bible has all along said that this salvation thing has been chosen and determined by God, yet at the same time, man does have a choice. And when you try to separate them, you're going to mess yourself up. You can't go either way. They're both there. If you go back and look at Ephesians and read Ephesians chapter 1 in this way, you'll see that what has been predestined is that all that would come to him would come through Jesus Christ. That was predetermined before the foundations of the earth. Listen closely. God chose how he would determine who is the ones who are going to be saved. It's through Christ. That was predetermined. The drinking at the river, the predetermined choice was the ones who drink in this manner are the ones I've chosen. Did each one have a choice when they got to the water? They sure did. They had a choice, the ones who responded in the way in which God had predetermined. So this is how this salvation thing worked, folks. At the same time, going back now, away from chasing that rabbit, how many drank in the manner he had predetermined? 300. Oh, and I don't know if you know this or not. God says, when you go to fight the Midianites, who are more than you can count, and you only got 300, you can't bring any weapons. You only can bring torches and pots and trumpets. Let's be really honest. How many of us would have ever gone? How many of us would have actually gone into battle? All along, the scripture has been teaching us all through the Old Testament and the New that what God is looking for is obedience and faith to what he has said to do in that situation. And we let him do what he will do. We've been... So God knew who was going to go. Oh, of course. Of course he did. The feeding of the 5,000, you'll see the same thing. God's setting this whole thing up. He knew there was going to be all those people that showed up, even though he had told his disciples, come away with me by yourselves to a desolate place and let's rest a while. He knew full well that when they got there, they weren't going to be alone. And what does he do? After seeing all those people and teaching them and everything, the disciples come and they say, it's late in the day, send them away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, you do it. 
You feed them. Of course, they panic and say, we can't. And this is what happens. Jesus says, find out what you got. And they, they find out they have a little boy's package of five loaves and two fish. And it was five little cakes and two sardines, most likely. And most of us have missed this part. Jesus then says to them, go and tell the, group, the crowd to sit down in groups of 50s and 100s. And they had to, before they even knew how Jesus was going to do this, go out into a group of over 5,000 people and say, would you all get in groups of 50s and 100s, please? Because Jesus wants to feed you before you go. And the inevitable question from the crowd was going to be, how? And all they could say was, we don't know. But he said to. All through Scripture, folks, the Bible has been teaching that we are to find out what it is he has said to do, trust him, and do that, and he will make it work. We, unfortunately, are a lot more like East, uh, the, sorry, Jacob than we are, like, like we are Jer uh, Joshua and Gideon. See, because if you look at the story of Jacob, when his brother Esau is coming back to meet him and to kill him, he thinks. He prays, oh God, help me. And then he thought, maybe if I send him out in waves. We have a tendency sometimes to pray the right prayer. Oh, Lord, show me what your plan is. I wonder if I could do this too. And we try to help God. And we miss out on the power of God and living in the Lord. Go with me to John chapter 15 and look at verses 4 and 5. Now, again, many of you could quote verse 5. But I'm praying that God will begin to burn this truth into your heart to the point that as you deal with whatever it is you're dealing with, that this verse is one of the first ones that God brings to your mind. The Holy Spirit is going to come, as Jesus said, and he's going to bring to remembrance everything that Jesus has taught us. In John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, listen to what Jesus says here. John 15, verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. But folks, let me just tell you, I haven't seen many Christians today living like they really understand this verse. We can quote it. It's one of the most quotable verses ever. As I travel around the country, if I'm teaching on something along this line, I will tell them, John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do, and everybody yells out, nothing. We know it. But do we live every single day with that understanding that whatever it is we're dealing with, whether it's a broken down car or a relationship issue or a who to marry or a job change or whatever it is that's going on in your health, as you, as you deal with it, is your first thought, Lord, apart from you, I can't do anything. Years ago, I had a professor in seminary. It was a preaching class, and he made a statement one day that I really had a problem with. He said, if you can't do anything else, then preach. And I remember sitting there thinking in class, that's the last thing we need. The last thing we need is people who have tried everything else. We might as well become a preacher. And then it hit me one day what he was saying. You know, I'm capable of doing a lot of stuff. I've held a lot of jobs. One of the fun things my kids over the years have tried to do is come up with a job that I haven't had. I mean, it's been crazy how many different jobs I've had in my life. I actually, if you go back, I don't even know how the, I, uh, the, the Social Security office have, have not figured this out. But I've been drawing Social Security since I was 13. You're not even allowed to start drawing it until, but I've been drawing it since I was 13 years old. Held a ton of jobs. I'm capable of a lot of stuff. But I understand now, I can't do anything but preach. How many of us live like if he doesn't do it, 
it won't get done. Or if we thought, I need to help him. I need to help him. Go to Philippians back again. Uh, no, go to Galatians. We'll go to Galatians, then we'll go to Philippians. Galatians. And look at chapter 2 again. Another very, very familiar passage, but I'm praying that the Spirit of God will bring it to a deeper understanding for you tonight. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see it? Paul says, I'm done living on my own strength. I now live by faith in the one who lived for me and died for me. And if you watch Paul's life, and we're going to see that tonight. As you watch Paul's life, you're going to see that this is the kind of guy that can stand up in front of a whole 200-something boat, uh, number of prisoners on a boat and all the Roman soldiers and say, Listen, God has said, and what God had said sounded stupid and crazy, but he said, this is how it's going to be. We, if you're going to be able to live, become a man or woman that lives by faith, by the way, you have to understand what God has said. Because as you heard me teach before, faith cannot begin until God has spoken. You don't put your faith in what you believe real strongly. That's not faith. You can't say, I really believe God's going to do this if he hasn't said it. But if you know what he's said, and you know what he's promised in his word, and you know the truth... You can stand on that and you can be bold. But most Christians today do not live by faith. One, they don't know the word. Two, they don't know what he's telling them now in a daily relationship. In churches I've been pastor of, a lot of times on Wednesday nights, I would teach Bible study. And you'd have what you call the quote unquote cream of the crop come on a Wednesday night to the Bible study. And a lot of times I would, before teaching Bible study, just stop and just say to everybody, hey, you know, before we get into our study tonight, just someone tell me out here what God's been doing in your life this week. Someone tell me what Jesus has talked to you about this week. Because we're supposed to be in a living relationship with him as he's walking us through things and teaching us and molding us and shaping us. And inevitably, most of the time, it would be crickets. People just kind of looked at me as if to say, what do you mean? Teach the Bible. They don't understand what it means to walk with him and have him be teaching them. And I pray that you are moving beyond this just, I went to Bible study, to a deep relationship where you could honestly tonight, we're not going to take the time because we only got so much time, but you could actually say, here's some things that God's been doing in my life. Here's what he's been showing me this week. Here's what he's been walking me through. And hopefully you'll be able to do that. Our responsibility is to fight the urge to come up with a plan. In whatever situation we're in, and we are to seek God's instruction on what he would have us do by faith in him. Remember, back in Philippians chapter 2, go ahead and turn there, you're in Galatians. Go to Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. We've already looked at this passage, but we remind you of it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will, or that's to give you the desire, and to work for his good pleasure. Everything we're talking about here, about being in the Lord, and standing firm in the Lord, and agreeing in the Lord, and rejoicing in the Lord, is actually abiding, folks. It should be the abiding relationship, and that's what we're looking at. We're going to try to go a little bit deeper into this tonight, because I think there's an aspect of this that I think God wants to bring out, and I think it's for the purpose of really helping us understand whether or not we're there. As I teach churches on abiding, I have a hard time with it because it's not a word we use. Let's be honest. How many of you even use the word abide in your everyday conversation? 
You know, if I walked up to you, Mike, and just said, hey, why don't you and I abide? You'd probably think to yourself, can we have a chaperone? You know, what, is, what does that mean? And so tonight, we're going to look at an aspect of this passage that I think will help you realize whether or not you are abiding. Because I think Paul's bringing out here that when we're in the abiding relationship, a certain attitude will become a common thing in our lives. And you're about to see it in just a second. Well, that's one of them. That's one of them. This is why, by the way, when we're in a situation and we're to have God live his life through us, that's why Paul tells us in verse 6 of chapter 4 that when we're anxious, when the anxious times arise, we're to pray. Look at what he says again in verse 6. He says, in verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what does he say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This whole in the Lord thing is seen right here in this verse. When you tap into the Spirit of God within us. I was actually at a meeting today up at the Seafarer Center, and uh, I actually was asked to give the devotion. And I talked on John 15, verse 5, and how most people can quote, apart from him we can do nothing, but very few of us live it out. And as the time was over, and we were done the meeting, and we had prayer time, a lady prayed an incredible prayer. She said, Lord, this power that lives within us as we abide in you is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. And she's praying scripture back to the Father. She said, we want that. We want that. But look closely at the attitude that uh, Paul says that we're having our, in our prayers. We're to make our requests known to God with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving shows appreciation for who God is and for what he's done and, listen closely, for what he will do. When you really make your request to God and you make it with thanksgiving, it's showing the attitude of your heart. You're going to him because he's the only one that can fix it. He's the only one that can make it work out. But you're also doing it with an attitude that doesn't say, man, I hope you do this. You're doing it with an attitude that says, man, even if you do, you don't. You're so awesome. I trust you. Second of all, I'm thankful for what you've already done and proven in my life. And at the same time, I'm thanking you ahead of time for how you're going to answer this prayer, because whichever way you answer it is good. This will help you. If you don't mind making a note, write this down and burn it into your brains as you're dealing with a certain issue in your life right now. If you're a child of God, this will hopefully be a real help to you. Let me ask you a couple questions real quick. Can God do anything wrong? Can God do anything that's not perfect? Then whatever it is he's walking you through, since you're already at peace with him because of Jesus Christ, whatever he's walking you through is either not wrong and it's also perfect. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even though we may not understand it, even though it bothers us, even though it hurts, even though we're confused, if you understand who you are in Christ Jesus, and Paul, how Paul said in Romans chapter 5, that because of our justification, we, justification, we're in this grace in which we now stand, we're at peace with God. That's why he goes on in that section and says, that's why we can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because this isn't tied to God punishing me. I'm at peace with God through Jesus Christ. He's in the process of molding and shaping. This is good. He can do nothing wrong. Everything he does is perfect. That sure changes how you pray in that situation, does it not? Let me give you a couple examples of this. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. 
Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. It says, when they were released, this is the disciples who had been uh, arrested for preaching the gospel. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I'm going to break this down for you. I want you to look at this. I'm going to give you a couple of questions from this passage. They've been brought before the same group of people that decided to have Jesus put to death. And they pray boldly, bring the request to God. And we see the answer to the prayer of how the Spirit of God gave them the peace that passes understanding and all of that. He filled them in such a way, he took control in such a way that they had a boldness to even go preach more. Can anybody show me the thankfulness here, though? It's there. It's there. In a couple of places. I'm sorry? In 24, yes. Yep. They declared who he is. Remember, your, your attitude of thankfulness, I'm going to say it to you again, is you demonstrating your appreciation to God for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. All throughout this is the attitude of thankfulness. God, you actually made everything. And also, these guys that did all this stuff, it lined right up with what your word had already said was going to do. And they actually acted out what you'd already predestined to determine how your, your servant was going to be put to death. Lord, even though everything looks out of control, and Jesus isn't here, and, 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 and we're supposed to go preach to these people that had him put to death, you're in control. God, you're in control. You can almost hear him saying, you don't do anything wrong, and everything you do is perfect. Let's go. Yes. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. They definitely were in one accord. They're in agreement. 29. Let's take a look at 29. Yep. And grant your servants to speak your word with all boldness. Yep. While you stretch out. They're already telling them, thanking them for what you're going to do ahead of time before they even finish praying. Yeah, in other words, we don't have to deal with it. I love it. I love it. Go to Acts chapter 5. It gets even more clear. Go to Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. These same guys now get arrested again. The high priest rose up and all are with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Stop real quick. Put yourself in their shoes. You've been brought before this very important, serious group that is the same group that decided to have Jesus put to death. You've seen all that happened. And they told you, stop, 
you prayed, he gave you boldness, you went and preached some more. They grabbed you again and arrested you and put you in the prison. And then God miraculously opens the prison doors and says, go back into the temple and preach some more. How many of us would say, Lord, do you know what they're going to do? I know, this is not very long. So they saw him move, and they suddenly felt that spirit in them. Like, Let's go. Yep. We're good. Keep reading, though. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter... And the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they had heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee uh, in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him and were, were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. If this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, listen, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of, of the council. Highlight that word. You're going to see it a bunch in the rest of our study tonight. Doing what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They came out of there and thanked God. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But they were, but they didn't thankful that they didn't get killed. They're thinking that they were counted worthy to be beaten. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, the safe, the safest place to be, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That's the safest place to be. Well, man, I, but we're not, as you hopefully understand from this book, we ain't living for this life. Were you starting to say something or no? Okay. say it shows how far the Pharisees and the Sadducees were away from God because if they had listened to what he had said, there would have been an awesome fear for them to even lay hands on these guys. Right. For sure. Yeah, well, he, he, 
they kind of listen to they kind of listen to Gamaliel, but not a whole lot. That's true. That's true. Oh, by the way, how many years has it been since uh, this Jesus thing happened? Uh, it's 2,000 plus. Guess what, folks? It's of God. Because if it was of man, it would have died a long, long time ago. Well, I don't know if you caught this yet or not. But to rejoice in the Lord always, listen closely, is to live with a positive mindset. I'm going to make a statement to you and then I'm going to read to you something from Vance Havner. You can't be a negative person and rejoice in the Lord. Plain and simple. You cannot be a negative person and rejoice in the Lord. Listen to what uh, Vance Havner says in uh, a little devotional that he wrote years ago. It's called, I Believe God. He says, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. So said Paul in the storm at sea. To all appearances, the situation was hopeless. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But Paul had word from heaven and so hoped against hope. This whole matter of Christian living is simply one issue, believing God. And that boils down to believing the Bible. Even John 3.16 depends on 2 Timothy 3.16. For if all scripture is not God-breathed, then I may doubt any of it. God has expressed himself on sin. I believe God. I believe him for salvation. I believe him for assurance. I believe him for sanctification. I believe him for the filling of the spirit, for health, food, clothes, money, my future. I believe God. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so must I. For we walk by faith, not by sight. It is not merely believing there's a God. The devils believe and tremble. And we don't even tremble. It's not merely believing in God that he is all that he says. That's better. But it's not saving faith. We must believe God enough to take him up on it, to let our lives be a sermon on the text. Let every God be true, but every man a liar. Sorry, not every, but let God be true, but every man a liar. It is a matter of believing, regardless of anything inside or outside, feel like it or not. I think of the old time Methodist preacher who went to camp meeting. He had a great time, shouted his tongue out and his collar down. Next day, one of his flock remarked, you don't feel as good today as you did yesterday. No, the old saint replied, but I believe today just like I did yesterday. He believed God. Believing God means believing Christ. For no man comes to the Father but by the Son. You believe God, believe also in me. And believing Christ is to live positively. There is health and victory in being a human exclamation point. But a human question mark breeds sin and sickness and sorrow. Negative, uncertain, doubtful living poisons body, mind, and spirit. Fills insane asylums, penitentiaries, even graves, even hell itself. Love thinketh no evil, and to believe God is to believe the best always about everyone and to everything until we must believe the worst. But negative poor souls always forefancy the worst than grudgingly acknowledge the best. Better believe in someone and be disappointed than never to believe at all. No man can be saved until he believes God about salvation and acts accordingly. And no Christian can ever know a life of joy and power and victory until he snaps out of the vicious circle of half-believing and half-doubting and moves from negation or interrogation to affirmation. To me, to live is Christ, and when Christ lives within, he believes God. He hath said so that we may boldly say, 
He hath not said so that we may guess about it, hope so, but that we may hilariously and dangerously and boldly say, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Throw your doubts to the winds, stand on your feelings, laugh at your circumstances, though the sometimes you'll feel like a fool doing it. The devil will scare you out of it if he can, but although, as with Paul, the storm may rage and all hope seem out of the question, let the world know that you have had word from higher quarters and shout in the teeth of the gale, I believe God. Oh, there may be hardship ahead, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island was Paul's next word. But mind you, although the ship was wrecked, Paul was not wrecked nor anything God had promised him. It shall be as he told us. And folks, I'm just telling you, you're going to see that it's a positive attitude. Now, some of you will say, well, Jim, being positive is easy for you. You're a naturally positive person. And I want to take just a second to kind of fill you in on a little bit of my background, because some of you have only seen me on this side of what God's been doing in my life. And I can tell you right now, I am a positive person. I have learned who God is, and I am that way. My family will tell you I, I am beyond positive in all things. I see everything as really good no matter what it looks like. My motto in life is if it ain't fun, don't do it. And if you got to do it, make it fun. And that's just the way I've lived my life. But it has not always been that way. Don't just say, well, that's easy for you because you're a naturally positive person. Actually, I was the exact opposite. And I used to be such a worrier, such a negative person. I was raised, unfortunately, by a dad who his attitude was, don't get your hopes up. That way you're never disappointed. Seriously. I grew up with, with, unfortunately, a lot of people never saw that about my dad because he put on a face, but that was how we were raised. And I spent most of my life worrying about this, that, or the other to the point that seriously, no exaggeration, before I graduated high school, I had three ulcers in my stomach because I was always worried, always. If you saw my senior class picture, you, would, you, would, you might even cry because in that time when everybody's smiling and everybody's showing their best look, you'd think that I just came out of a prison and that was as, good, as much as I could smile at that time. I have not always been this positive, but God's been doing a work in my life. And the longer I have walked with him, the more positive I have become because of Jesus. It's not natural to me, but now it's natural to me, if that makes any sense to you. It wasn't how I was raised. It wasn't how I was made when I was a kid, but it's who I am now. And it's real and it's not phony. It's not put on. What you see is what you get. So don't listen to Satan say, well, it's easy for you to be a positive person. Oh, no. But it is now. But it is now because I believe God. Yes. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. It becomes natural when we learn how to abide, when we learn how to live in Him. Well, look at verses 8 and 9. This is what leads Paul to say what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, look closely what he's what he's saying here. He said we're not to dwell on the negative, although there's plenty of it out there. There's plenty of negative stuff to look at. But we're to focus on what? Things that are pure, things that are true, things that are honorable, just, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. That's where. So this is where I want you to kind of hopefully grasp tonight as we're getting into trying to understand what it means to abide. Is your inclination Naturally positive 
or negative. You cannot be negative and be in the abiding relationship. It's not possible. It is supernatural. Go ahead. It, yes, it is. Yes, it is. How often did the scriptures, did God or the angels say, be of good cheer? Don't be afraid. Hey, look at this. I know it looks bad, but it isn't that bad. This is, see the good side. And Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. We're going to get to that reasonableness in just a second here. But he says, have you got any issues that you're anxious about? By the way, he's not saying don't ever be anxious. It's not what it's saying. It's saying when those anxious times arise and you sense it, we all have them. That's when you've got to go back to the Father. That daily renewing of our mind. That's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So say no to the flesh. Say put our flesh on the altar and seek the will of God and the renewing of our minds. Go with me real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to show you to you that way. James said the same thing. Yes, it's all through the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every what? Every thought captive and to obey Christ. Where is this battle being raged in, in between us? In our minds. Does anybody know why the battle's being waged in our minds? Satan can't have my salvation, so he's <laughs> That's definitely part of it. He can't have our salvation. Why? why? Mind is our gateway to the heart. Very good. Let me, let me, let me take you somewhere that maybe might help you. In the Old Testament, the scripture said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. No, no, no. It didn't say mind until the New Testament. Said in the Old Testament, if you look, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus comes on the scene and he adds a word. By the way, it's okay. He wrote the book. He can add a word if he wants to. <laughs> and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm so grateful that Jesus added the word mind. Because let's look at it this way. If God's word told me, and there was no mind, if God's word told me to love the God, Lord with all my heart, I can be honest with you. I don't know. I don't even know what that means. My, my wife will tell you, I'm one of the most unromantic people. I try, but even it makes it worse. I'm just, that heart stuff, it's not how I'm wired. I don't know how to love God with all my heart. I don't even know what that means. Well, then I'll love him with my soul. That doesn't help me. Well, my strength then, I'll, am I going to break bricks for God? How do I love him with my strength? But you know what? The mind helps me. You know what? That's the only part of me that is connected to my soul and my body. Do you understand that? That's the only part of you that is, connects your soul, your spirit with your flesh. It's the mind. And that's where we need to learn to live out of the spirit of God, which affects our soul, which then affects our bodies. Do you understand what's going on here? I want you to grasp this. Because our spirit has been made new through Jesus Christ, and we've been, been born again, of the Spirit. We've been made alive in our spirit. Our spirit of God will then affect our soul. And that's our thought and our intellect, all that kind of stuff. And that, when we're living out of that, it affects our bodies. We need to let God have victory there because in our minds, 
will determine how we're going to live, how we think you're going to act. And so Paul says, you want to have a transformation? It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not that. It is knowing how to let God's truth be what rules in our minds. Taking every thought, does it line up with the word of God? It's kind of like the security guy at the gate checking everybody that wants to come in's ID. Have you got approval for entry or not? Every thought that comes, does this match with the word of God? Does this carry over? Can this pass through or do I reject it? You got to know the word of God. You got to know the truth of the word of God. And then from there, <laughs> it's all right, Tom. It's reading the Bible. It is. It's just on a passage we're not on here. It's just throwing me off here. So <laughs> it's all right. But that, what I want you to understand is, is that's where the battle's being waged. And what does Satan want to come do? Where does, how does he attack you? With negative thoughts, with doubts, fears, worry, anxiety, all that stuff. And that's why we need to know what the truth of the Word of God is so we can refute it. We need to know what, how to let the Spirit of God through the truth of the Word of God reign. And we walk in obedience to what God has said by faith. And we focus on what's right and pure and true. And the Spirit of God is allowed to take control and it affects how we live it out. That's just a cool deal. Oh, by the way, this is only going to happen with practice. You can't go to a special service and all of a sudden you've had it hit you and you're all better. We've seen the quote-unquote revivals that have broken out over the country and parts of the world over the years. And everybody talks about how all this amazing stuff is going on. But inevitably, what happens? Not only do they go back to what they were, a lot of times they end up doing worse things than they did before. Because they thought it was a one-time thing. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's a daily renewing of our minds. It's a process. And you've heard me say it before. Why are God's mercies new every morning? Because our flesh gets up every day too. And we need to learn how to daily, daily... Well, then that sounds kind of familiar. Moment by moment. Didn't somebody say rejoice in the Lord? Always. Always. And I'm going to say it again. It's a continual thing. It's a continual thing. Now, look, I want you to also see rejoicing in the Lord. You actually will. It'll also help you to see others in a more positive light. Go back to Philippians chapter four. Look at verse three again. Look at how he described Euodia and Syntyche. Philippians chapter four, verse three. Look at how he described Yodia and Syntyche. These two ladies, they were having a disagreement. We don't know what it was about. How did he describe them? He didn't say those troublemakers, those busybodies. How did he describe them? Yes, but keep going. How do you describe them? Look at verse three. I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These are two awesome ladies. They're having a bad day. I don't see the bad day as that we're determining who they are. I see them for who they really are. I know their hearts. I know what's going, God's doing in their life. I've seen them work, living for the Lord. They've labored side by side with me. Their names are in the book of the life. Go encourage them. What do we tend to do? Focus on the negative. And as parents, Becky and I have been learning to focus more on the positive and, and encouraging and pointing out the good things that our kids are doing. When the correction comes, they don't see it as you're always pointing out my faults because they've learned. We see all the positive. We've been bombing you with how awesome you are and how great you are. Then when we point out the correction, you don't hear the negative as much because you know we've heard the positive. Now, unfortunately, I used to parent the other way. I used to always thought I was helping by pointing out the negative. 
In my heart, I was doing right. I still remember how much it hurt me to watch A.J. run down the court, and he had a layup, and he hit the backboard a little too hard. And I stood up and yelled out, softer off the backboard next time. And in my heart, I was trying to encourage, but I watched his spirit go, oh, because he heard negative correction. I was trying to help, but I didn't. I can still picture his body language as he ran back down the court. But I'm learning as my father is. Well, isn't Jesus always pointing out the good? Hey, Peter, you're going to deny you know me three times, but when you come back, I'm going to use you to strengthen the brothers. Forgetting what is behind, exactly, and straining towards what is ahead. Folks, look at how Paul, in chapter 4, verse 1, how he described the people of the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He said these people he longs for, his joy, his crown, his beloved. He, when you really allow the Spirit of God and His truth to take root in your life, you're going to start seeing people in a whole different way. Becky is rereading right now a book that uh, uh, years ago God brought into our life. Uh, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Has anybody ever read the book? Those of you that have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And those of you that haven't, get it. Do you even have it on you, Becky? Is it in your purse? I'd show it to you because it won't scare you. It's about this big. You know why? When I was in seminary in New Orleans years ago, I'm the master procrastinator. I'm the last minute kind of a guy. We were given in this one devotional classic seminary class uh, a bunch of different books that we were to pick one. And we were to read it and give a big report, written report on this book. Well, one of them was Pilgrim's Progress. Has anybody seen Pilgrim's Progress? That'll keep a couple of doors from closing. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a big book. And all of them were really these big, thick things. And when I went to the library to go find the book for my report... I found The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, and it's a paperback, and it's this thick, and it's only about this big, and I thought, that's the one I'm doing my report on. And I thank God that he knows how to work with his children because he knew what I needed to hear, and it was in that book, and he knew that's the only one I was going to read. It transformed my life and is transforming our lives because in that book, Brother Lawrence, it's just a section of letters, letters he's written to some people that he knows talking about how he, he was a monk in the 1400s and he would spend time alone with God in his prayer closet. But it hit him one day, if God is always with me, why don't I just learn how to talk to him all the time while I'm going through my everyday life? I don't have to go get alone and spend time with God. Why don't I learn how to just communicate with him continually and practice his presence? And he worked in the kitchen in the monastery, and it said he said it changed how he started seeing people because these people that would come through the line that used to bother him or rub you the wrong way, as some people do. He said as he was talking with God all the time, he started to see them as God saw them. And he would be talking to the Lord and say, Lord, what's really going on in this guy's heart? And God would give him a love for these people that God had. And folks, this is a process. This is going to be a journey that you're on. And I just want to encourage you. Don't try to be there tomorrow. Don't, I just have a positive attitude. No, know the truth and let it happen from the inside out. You can't start with the outside working it in. It's got to come from within. And it starts from knowing the truth of God's word. And knowing how to talk to him and allowing his spirit to take control. Before we wrap up, the title of that book is The, the Practice of the Presence of God. The Practice of the Presence of God. 
before we wrap up, I want to examine what Paul said in Philippians 4, 5. Look at verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And folks, I think this is one of the most key parts of this whole passage. And it's the one that most people don't even really quote when they quote this section. Some translations, instead of reasonableness, will say gentleness. Others will say moderation. Others will say gentle spirit. The Greek word that Paul uses here refers to someone, listen closely, who is patient, kind, gentle, Merciful. Does, does that sound familiar to anybody? That's the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, what Paul's saying is, is don't be reactionary. Don't be one of those people that are way up and way down. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your mercifulness, your patience be evident to all. Why? The Lord is near. And that at hand is actually, it's, it's, he's right here. God's with you all the time. Why are you acting like he's not? It's, it's almost like the disciples in the boat. When Jesus is asleep on the pillow and, and the storm's raging and the water's coming in and they cried out, they say, Lord, don't you care if we die? It's ironic that the whole reason he had come to the earth was he cares whether or not we die. Yet he's right there and they're freaking out. And he's right there in the same boat. Folks, at the same time, he's saying... When you're in the Lord, people are going to want to be around you. In the middle of the chaos, they're going to be the one. They're going to come and say, can I just hang out with you? Can I just spend some time with you? You seem to be relaxed. You seem to be at peace. You seem to let your gentleness, let your reasonableness, let your mercifulness, your patience, let the fact that you're calm because of Christ be evident to all. Be a demonstration that the Lord is here. Ah. Look at verse 9. I'm going to ask you a question in closing tonight. Could you put Philippians chapter 4, verse 9 on the door of your house? I want you to answer it. Some days. <laughs> Some, days. Some minutes. <laughs> Could you put Philippians chapter 4, verse 9 on the door of your house? Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now my answer to you is going to surprise you. Some of you are saying, well, not yet. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you growing in this area? Then you can. Go back to Philippians chapter 3 and look at verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this. I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider my, uh, that I have made it my, my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've already attained. Paul says, look, I don't think I'm arrived. I'm not writing Philippians 4, 9 because I'm there. I am learning how to walk with him. I'm straining toward what's ahead. I'm wanting more of Christ. I'm wanting to grow in my knowledge of him. I'm praying that the eyes of your hearts would be open so that you would know. I'm also praying that same prayer for myself, that God would continue to reveal to me who he is. And he's taken me on this journey. I want you to be on the same journey. So when Paul says, whatever you've heard in me and seen in me, put it into practice, he's not saying all the things I do right, you do right. He's saying, as I strain for a deeper walk with the Lord, I want that for you as well. So can you put Philippians chapter 4, verse 9 on, your, on the door of your house? Yes. You can. 
if you're striving to know God more. Every day is a new day. And folks, let me just tell you, some of the greatest lessons that we can learn and others can learn are when we're faithful and honest about our failures. Aren't you glad Peter's denials in the Bible? Aren't you glad that Paul and Barnabas's fights in the Bible? Aren't you glad all the way through Scripture we see the negative side of people as well? Aren't you glad that the same Abraham that's willing to lay his son on the altar is the same one that says, well, maybe you're supposed to sleep with my servant. Maybe that's how God doesn't hide the warts. And we've got to stop hiding them as well. We've got to stop putting on this perfection mindset and showing up and only really letting other people see us at church on Sunday. And we wear our best clothes and we act our best and we put on the smile. Folks, if we get to live with each other and spend time together more than just a Bible study and they see us in our struggles and they see us worry, but then turn to the Lord and he gives us a supernatural strength that we wouldn't have had before. That's what they need to see. They don't need to see perfection. You're lying to them if there's perfection. Years ago. When uh, um, Becky and the girls were little, we lived in Chicago. I'm not even sure if AJ had been born yet at this time. If so, he was an infant and couldn't be a part of the decorating of the Christmas tree. But back in the day when I was working too many hours and thought I was trying to, you know, serve God with everything I had and burn the candle at both ends and my family was suffering because of it. One night while I was out working, Becky and the girls were living in the parsonage. I was living there too once in a while. But the girls were real little, like two and three, two and four or three and five at the most. And they had decided that they were going to decorate the Christmas tree while I was out. And they were staying up past their bedtime and the girls were giddy. They couldn't wait until daddy got home and they could show him what they had done. And I come in late that night and I could hear the giggling in the other room. And Becky and the girls are standing in this little front room that they had where the TV, uh, sorry, the, the, the Christmas tree was. And, and uh, as I came around the corner, the first thing I noticed was the tree was leaning. And the first things out of my mouth was not, wow, girls, what an amazing job. I said, the tree's crooked. And I can still picture my girls' faces go from... And I crushed him. Now, the reason I share this with you is for this reason. I told that story one time when I was preaching at First Baptist in the Atlantic. And some of you remember Ann Campbell. And Ann came up to me after the service that Sunday and she said, Pastor, you have done a lot of things for us over the years. But today you've done the best thing you've ever could have done by showing us that you're human too. Folks, let them see you're human too. I mean, we got an engineer over here that can't figure out technology. <laughs> Philippians 4.9 is not telling you to live perfectly and you only can tell people to follow you as you live perfectly. Philippians 4.9 is saying, as you strive for a deeper walk with Christ and you're real about it, tell other people, let's get together and go do it together. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that we're in this whole process <laughs> of uh, progress of our faith, as it said in Philippians chapter 1. Thank you that you give us each other to come alongside of each other to help us in the progress of our faith. Father, I thank you for the fact that uh, there's a group of folks here that love each other. And, and Lord, you've put us together, not just on Tuesday nights, but in, in each other's lives.
Lord, may we be willing to say I'm worried. But then together we'll seek you. Can we not pretend that, that there are times that we're not a little concerned or anxious? Lord, but at the same time, in those times, may we make our request to you with thanksgiving. And then your spirit does in us and through us things that we wouldn't have even had had we not turned to you in that time. Father, may we not also, may, may we learn the fact that these times of growth, these times of worry and struggle and failure and fear are those times that we actually grow. So Lord, keep us from trying to put on the perfection face. And may we just simply strive for a deeper walk with you. And Lord, when we start to feel and sense things in a positive way, even when the world may say they're not, thank you for the fact that we'll begin to realize that we're in the abiding relationship because that means your power is flowing through us because it is natural. Father, make that change in us as you said you would, as you conform us into your image, Jesus, and we look forward to it. You're the vine, we're the branches, our Father's the gardener, gardener, and you desire for us to produce fruit. And you said we will if we learn how to be in the Lord. Whether it's standing firm in the Lord, agreeing in the Lord, or just rejoicing in the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your patience with us. May people say, I want to be around that person because they're, they're calm. They're at peace. They're positive. And Lord, may we be able to give you the praise because we know that didn't happen by us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.